We're going to move towards our question from the congregation. Okay. Okay. So it is the juicy one. The juicy one. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Does the mark of the beast come before or after the rapture? Welcome to this week's episode of The Follow-Up, where we recap this week's sermon so you can grow deeper in your relationship with Jesus. I'm here with Pastor Jack and Pastor Bill. Welcome, guys. Hi. Yay. We're diving into Revelation chapter 7 and a little bit of 8 today, so I'm excited for us to talk through some things. We've got quite a few questions, and then we have a really juicy one that came from the congregation. Oh, wow. (laughs) Juicy. Okay. Okay, so diving into question one, how does the ceiling of the the ceiling of the hundred and forty four thousand in Revelation seven compare or contrast to the concept of the quote mark of the beast mentioned elsewhere in Revelation? Yeah, you talked about this one, didn't yes, you? I yeah. did. Why don't you go first? I did. I still go to um, think of it as a jersey. I mean, if, it, it's it's a team you're on. I mean, you've, you you are making a, a choice, <clears throat> a conscious choice. Those who have been called, those who are marked, you are the marked by the beast, you're marked by God. The mark of God is actually, I think, mentioned more in Revelation than the mark of the beast. We've just, us preachers like to <laughs> hit the mark of the beast more for some reason. Um, but it is, the, if you were to compare and contrast, it's literally, it's it's a choice, a conscious choice of saying, this is who I serve, this is who I follow, this is who I'm surrendered to. And God's people are marked by that life i went through i went by ephesians and it talks about ephesians i believe it's ephesians one talks about those who are marked and they're sealed by the holy spirit it, that's that's the mark on our life so there is that confirmation of believing not just believing in your head but a belief that leads to life change that's the mark that's the mark of god on the believer's lives that will have to withstand which we're going to get to later and i think there's a question on this too persecution trials um some due to faith some peter talks about from being in a fallen world like it's part of it i think if we went around green bay and said hey is this world messed up i think 10 out of 10 people would go yeah it's pretty pretty messed up so but that's that mark of god compared to the mark of the beast of saying it's about me it's what i want to do very self-serving uh kind of keeps god at a distance maybe it can be religious enough but it's not it's it's denying the mark of god for for the, the mark of the beast or the mark of self, which is the number of man, six. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I said a lot of those same things um, this weekend in the sermon, but I, I think I'd just add is like the, I really liked focusing on that. This is actually a ceiling mm-hmm. from the Holy spirit. I mean, the Holy spirit is God. Yeah. And so the third person of the Holy spirit essentially, or the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit has essentially sealed us for the day of redemption. And the idea is that like God has taken ownership of us, that we are protected, that that is what's, you know, like that's supposed to be the picture that we're holding onto. And so then when you relate that to the mark of the beast, like there's all these people who get worried about, will will I accidentally accept the mark of the beast? Will I like, you know, all of a sudden like buy the wrong cryptocurrency or something. Yeah. And then now I'm like part of Satan's plan moving forward. And it's like, no, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's not going to happen. The idea is that if you are marked by God, you will be marked by God. You will be sealed by God until the day of redemption when Jesus returns in his second coming. And so we don't have to worry about all of a sudden like jumping on to something else. We just need to keep on being faithful and keep on believing in Jesus. And I go back to uh, along that point, we, we, I, the mark of God follows what I'll call similar patterns as mark of the beast. It's on the forehead. 
Yep. It is the mark of those who are following. Whereas yeah. the mark of the beast is the total same thing. It's those who bought into the system. And we're going to get into this in the later part of Revelation. Yeah. So I don't want to go into too much into it. But, it, but I mean, when you look at the verbiage, it is a clear delineation, which is Revelation. Who's on the throne? Who are you following? I mean, you right. can boil it down. If you take every, if you strip it down to what it's truly about and that this, this monopoly game is going to come to an end like that, yeah. we're going to stop going around the board at some point and there's, you're going to know which team you're on. Right. Yep. So. Amen. Okay. Question two, what does the ceiling of the 144,000 say about God's protection in tribulations? Mm, I think, I think, you know, God is, it's interesting because God's wrath is going to be poured out or is being poured out in some sense um, in when you see all these seals released and you see all this judgment on earth. And yet God says, hey, wait, before the winds, the four winds of destruction come across the earth and destroy everything or right. begin to affect what's going on, I'm going to actually put my seal of protection on you. And so the idea you're supposed to get, the broad idea you're supposed to get there, there is that God actually cares about the eternal destiny of those who follow him. So yeah. Jesus says, in this world, there'll be much trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world. So I don't think that the ceiling or the protection means that we won't experience any sort of right. harm here. Right. I think it's this idea that even if we do experience har hardship in this life, like Jesus promises we will, um, that in the end, we will be with God. And that's, I think, the seal. Like, no matter what happens, the persecution, the famine, the death, the horribleness that we can experience in life, no matter what it is, yeah. I'm going to bring you through to the end where eventually you'll be with me, where I'll wipe away all of your tears, where I'll lead you by streams of living waters. Your eternal destiny is secured, is what I think is being talked about. You got that, and then you got those in the white robes within yeah. our, pas our passage. And they went through it. It wasn't easy and it was persecution and it was tribulation and it was hardship. He says they survived it. Mm -hmm. And then, and then he goes on to say what they won't have to experience anymore. They won't have to experience the extreme heat of the sunshine. They won't have to experience going starving and hungry. Their tears are wiped away. So it doesn't mean that their life is easy. It doesn't mean that they don't experience this stuff, but they're kept in it. And like you're saying, it's that eternal reward at the end. That's, once again, that's when you get into Revelation where this thing is going to land. So right. yeah, be ready that it's going to be tough. Yeah. And even the, those who are marked, and we, I, I talked about this a little bit, is 144,000 is the first number given, but then the next part of that passage is there's way too many people to count. Like there, it's, it's a numerous expansion. So there's a symbolism in, in the 144,000. Um, I, I, I can't give a, like a, here's what it is. And, yeah. you know, you and I both have read different things on it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that I'd want to like hitch my horse to one final statement. Right. Mm -hmm. But, but to your point, it's not just about, I won't go anything through, I won't go through anything here. We will. Mm -hmm. It's how we're marked for the day of redemption, the day of, uh, in Christ's presence. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. How does the great multitude in Revelation 7 reflect the kingdom of God's inclusivity? Yeah, I mean, I love that. And I that's one thing that I pointed out this weekend was um, I love that it is literally every nation, every language, yeah. every tribe. Yeah. And I think it's an amazing picture that when we look, if we were to get 
you know, like if we were to open the door like John did and look yeah. into heaven and see who's there, it is people from all over the globe. It does not matter race. It doesn't matter background. doesn't matter culture. What matters is that these are people who have put their faith and their trust in the blood of the lamb in right. Jesus. And that's what heaven's going to look like. And so like the application of that for us is um, to remember that at church, we should be striving to reflect what we see in heaven. Right. And not only that, but like, we shouldn't lull ourselves into believing that Christians are people who in America who look like us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like that should yeah. not be our attitude. Our attitude mm -hmm. should be the global view of the church of people who have truly given their lives to Jesus. Yeah. yeah I, I'll tell you what, I'll take this question and take the question back one. And I look at um, this past weekend being the, praying for the persecuted church because you're right. It is every tribe and nation and tongue. And it's not just the, the church in America where we can gather comfortably and sit on pretty comfortable chairs or yeah. depending on your, on your church background <laughs> um, compared to those who are meeting underground and those who, who may not speak the same languages and, or dress the same or the, the cultural differences. Yeah. Right. And, in, and in the end, it's all of the people all of them, those who have survived the persecution, those of us, honestly, who are blessed in what we think we're persecuted with. No, no, right. we really haven't had a taste of too much. But our response, all of us, blessing and glory and honor and power and thanksgiving and dominion be to our God, like this yeah. string of superlatives we read that the entire world, all of creation, every people group, it doesn't matter what your cultural bent or background, everybody who sees the lamb on the throne is going to respond in Awe, mm -hmm. awe, like not have enough thought to put it into poetry. It's just right. going to like burst out of you with these, with these words that just can, can only describe what you see. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I kind of hit on no matter what you're going through, no matter what people group you are, no matter what your culture, man, find a place of worship in whatever you're going through, whatever your culture. Don't, don't worry about being too stoic. Don't worry about being too exuberant. Find a place of worship mm -hmm. from your heart because when you do that, that means you've, you've focused on what the entire all of creation is going to focus on. Mm. Oh, I have goosebumps yeah. just uh. us talking about this. It gets me so excited. Okay. How is the power of prayer depicted in Revelation 8 and what can we learn from it? Yeah. So that's, that's the piece. Did you talk about this where the bowl of prayer? I did not. Yeah. yeah okay. Turn. So, <laughs> so in, in 8, 1 through 5, it talks about um, this last seal being broken. And part of that is there's this silence and then it shows this depiction of like a bowl essentially of prayers. And then they rise up to God with incense and, and then, and then the judgment happens. And I, I talked about this just a little bit, but um, I love that picture that mm -hmm. almost God almost the picture is that God has like accumulated the prayers and we've seen prayers already in revelation. We see the, the people who have been persecuted and yeah. martyred for their yep. faith say, how long, Oh God, before you, before you bring judgment, because we've, we've been martyred, you know? And so like the picture is that God collects those and that he actually uses those in his divine plan, which is amazing to think about. Like sometimes I think Christians go, does it really matter when I pray? Right. You know, like it's just a natural question we have because we don't always see a one for one correlation of our prayers to what happens in our lives. Um, or we don't, it's there, but we don't always recognize it. Um, and so we ask the question like, do my prayers actually matter? And here we have a picture of an absolute resounding yes yeah. in heaven that God somehow uses our prayers in how 
um, his plan unfolds on earth. And so like that should give us great confidence to go to God and say like, I'm going to continue to pray. I'm going to be faithful in prayer because I know you use it in some different way. And we don't know exactly, you know, our, certainly we're not manipulating the will of God in any way, but he like almost finds a way to include our prayers in his plans. And that's just an amazing reality. I I love the picture too. Our prayers are always before him, you know, and it's this idea of an aroma yeah. or an incense. And if you've ever been in a house that burns incense, they're done burning incense. The little thing is gone. The stick mm-hmm. is burnt up and that smell lingers. Mm-hmm. And it's a picture of our prayers before the presence of God, Yeah, you know, and there's, there's something honestly mystical about it, about w- what does that look like? Cause in our mind, it's a finite prayer. Well, I, I prayed this at three Oh four. I was done praying at three Oh four and 45 seconds. Therefore mm-hmm. God got the envelope with the prayer yeah. all right. done. No, there's something that almost lingers. And when you read and revelation about the prayers of God's people. Yeah. So. And I think too, like our, our world actually scoffs at that. I know like yeah. our world, especially today, like they scoff when there's a tragedy and we pray for it. They're like, Oh yeah, just pray for it. Yeah. You know, instead of doing something and it's like, wow, like you can kind of see where people's faith are at when, yeah. when they say those sorts of things. And I think that is a distinction that marks people of faith, people of faith, pray because we know that it actually does matter. Mm -hmm. So, yep. And that is something tangible that we can do when it feels like we might not be able to do anything. Like that is actually the best work that we can do. Yep. It's not an excuse for not doing things. Oh, we should also be active in our faith, (laughs) but we should pray and be active. (laughs) So what significance do you find in the half hour of silence in heaven in revelation eight? Yeah. You and I talked about this a little bit. It's the, um, the severity, the sincerity of the moment. Um, I, the two illustrations I use them both Sunday, but the first one is silence can be awkward. Mm-hmm. You know, anyone yeah. who has a two year old, um, you have that much silence, you're like, something's up. You know, <laughs> what are they yeah. doing? And especially for as often as heaven is described as loud or volume or sound or something, there's always something related to the sound of heaven and what's going on that John notices. Like there's sound involved in almost everything and now it's silent. And, mm-hmm. and it's a very distinct for half an hour, mm-hmm. you know? So, so yeah, I can imagine almost the awkward and then the tension of this seventh seal being broken. And this is like when everything's about to break loose. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kind of picture people trying to like get a view because even Jesus said, God's the only one who knows, like the, the father in heaven is the only one who knows how this is going to play out. Mm-hmm. So it is, it's the, the sincerity, the intensity, the reality of the moment. It's about to go down. Yeah. Yeah. Amen on that. I, um, oh, I have to have a retraction for our point this week. Uh-oh. Um, because our point this week was the, the breaking of the, the seventh Scrolls. scroll and it should have said seal. So, <laughs> you know what? Pastors make mistakes too. Yeah. And so we have to retract that. Yeah. But also I would just add to what you said. I think all those things are right. I think, I think what's happening in heaven is all these people are standing around and saying, it's finally here. Mm, yeah. Like this is finally an unraveling. God's going to bring about his grand plan. It's all coming to a head. It's actually happening. And I used the illustration of going to the circus, which people were confused when I first started talking about it. <laughs> but when you go to the circus, I, I went to the circus a couple of years ago and um, you, we watched this guy climb into this cannon and we're all standing there. We're like, what's going to happen? Like, are they actually going to shoot a person out of a cannon? 
in it, we're in the rest center, you know? So this is like a long distance from one end to the other. And they shot this guy all the way across the thing. And when they hit that button, the entire crowd, everyone there held their breath. You know, like every single one of us were like, <gasps> because if the guy gets shot out of this cannon and he misses the net, Splat. <laughs> that's a bad day Splat. Yeah. you know like he's done he's There's done no for retake. and so we were like all holding our breath to make sure he would make it yeah and i think that's kind of what's happening in heaven you're they're just so much in awe when god when that when that last seal opens they're all going <gasps> it's happening you know and i think that's kind of the picture that we're supposed to get there and can you imagine those who have been praying you know, I, I think we hit a little further down in Revelation, but those who have been persecuted, who have been praying, how long are we going to have to keep putting up with this? How long before your judgment comes into play? Like how yeah. long before you're going to bring justice? Everybody has something in them that calls for justice. Yeah. So when this last scroll, the seal is being opened and broken, <laughs> it's um, that how long is about to get an answer. So that's a great yeah. point. That's a yeah. really good point. We're going to move towards our question from the congregation. Okay. Okay. So it is the juicy one. The juicy okay. one. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Does the mark of the beast come before or after the rapture? I think most people, I think one of the most popular like lenses to view revelation in our culture is, is this idea of, um, a rapture of the church before the tribulation. So a lot of people believe that the church will be raptured and taken away. And then the tribulation will happen in that scenario. If this is what this person's asking in that scenario, um, the mark of the beast would come during the tribulation. So actually the rapture happens before the mark of the beast comes in that scenario. Now there are some other ones that would think about it differently. Yes. Um, but we're just trying to answer this person's question. So yeah, post because the post tribulation view, would say actually the church goes through all of it. God will keep his church, but that's why you can't buy or sell. That's why you can't, you know, be a part of community because the mark of the beast, the church is in it. And then God raptures at the end. Yeah. It's yeah, it is. It's a, it's a little bit of a sticky question depending on timeframes and, yeah. and all right. of that. Yep. So, Bill, can you share some of the other videos that we have about the different views? Yeah. So actually Ryan did a couple videos that would be really helpful um, to figure those things out. There's one that he does basically essential timelines and he covers basically the four main views of how you could, how you could interpret that. So you can actually go on our YouTube page and find that one with Ryan. That one's really good. It'll show you like, if you're going to take a pre-millennial view, how that would look, if you're going to take a, you know, uh, an amillennial view, how that would look. And so that's really helpful. And then he has another one where basically he writes out timelines on mm -hmm. the board. He, well, he writes out basically lenses for how you can view revelation. And that one's super helpful. So either one of those would be super helpful in answering some of our questions. Yeah. Wonderful. To wrap things up, last question is how can we find relevance in th these passages? So revelation seven and a little bit of eight for our lives today, given the complex imagery. Mm. I would start with really a couple of different things for me jump out in this passage. First of all is take it seriously. I mean, when heaven goes silent, that's telling us something about how we need to view the end times, how we need to view God's wrath globally and personally, even like take this seriously that you're, you're choosing a team. You're putting on a Jersey. Mm. You're wearing a mark, you know, we're sealed by the Holy spirit for the day of redemption. So, 
don't don't play around with this like don't don't make it a game don't don't show up for church for some tunes a coffee and a and a hopefully you know a cute message or something like no it's more than this mm. um secondly is take prayer seriously mm. you know realize the power of prayer in the heavens yeah. you know whether you feel it or not mm-hmm. this passage and other passages show us too but like there's power in prayer and it is it is a lingering thing in the presence of god mm-hmm. so don't don't miss that as well. And then the, there is a persecuted church right now. Yeah. So be praying for them. And yes, they will be rewarded. And yes, they will be, they'll be, I, I love the picture in Revelation 7. It's the lamb who becomes the shepherd. Mm. You know, lambs need shepherds. This lamb is the shepherd. And this lamb was us. He went through everything we went through. But for those who are being persecuted and despised, don't, boy, don't overlook them. Like we've, we've got to remember that, our, our kind of, our comfort levels are not the norm for the church around the world. So don't, don't lose sight of, of the bigger picture of what's going on. Yeah. Those are great. I would say, um, the big picture for me and how to like apply it is God's sovereignty. Mm. Um, yeah. I think Christians then who are receiving John's message of revelation or his vision of revelation needed to hear this. And we need to hear this, that when the world seems like it's falling apart, when things seem like they're against believers, um, ideologies are changing. Sure. Um, it feels like world war three might happen, yeah, you know, like yeah, honestly, so. there's, there's a lot of people with those fears right now. Yeah. It's super important for us to read passages like this and remember that actually the one who has the scroll yeah. with the seven seals is Jesus himself. Yes. And Jesus himself is in charge of the plan moving forward. Yeah. And we need to put our faith and our trust in his sovereignty. Yeah. And so like, I think Christians need to hear that over and over and over again. That is actually the one who, God is the one who's in control. And so you have to say over and over again, he's got this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And don't you think keeping your eyes on the one on the throne, like boy, revelation was not written to confuse people. Like it wasn't right. written for the imagery. I'm, I'm, I don't picture John going, I'm going to throw in some detail here. It's just going to mess with their mind. <laughs> right. That wasn't the goal. The goal, it, it was really, look at who's on the throne. Yeah. And all the way through until we get to Revelation 22, we're going to see that, like you're saying, this is the sovereign plan of God is unfolding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us you, for this week's episode of The Follow-Up. Yeah. If you are not already subscribed, make sure you go ahead and subscribe to our channel so you never miss out on an upcoming episode and we will see you guys next week.